Why does the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints build and utilize Mormon temples throughout the world? Are Mormon temples biblical? Why or why not? Why do they build them and what happens inside Mormon temples? Join us today as I interview Bill McKeever, President of Mormon Research Ministry. We'll learn about Mormon temples and how we can respond and witness to Mormons we meet. This is Kay Meyer, President of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's program. Thanks, Bill, for being my guest today on Family Shield. My pleasure, Kay. Well, I told you we wanted to, uh, I wanted to kind of focus on the Mormon temples. And as I was preparing for this, I was remembering when the St. Louis Mormon Temple was built. Because I'm in media, I was invited to preview it prior to the public. And I had done a six-part series on Mormons, knowing it was coming in for a column I used to write in the St. Louis Metro Voice newspaper. It was a really interesting day in the temple because uh, the editor of the St. Louis Metro Voice, Jim Day, started handing out the articles to all the media that was there, and we weren't supposed to be doing that. They thought I was handing them out, and so pretty soon I had someone walking with me the entire rest of the tour, and um, just it was really funny because it wasn't me handing them out. But I said later it it was kind of like being in a communist country because they didn't like my articles, and they didn't like that we were giving them out, and we really weren't supposed to be. I wouldn't have done it because I'm a rule keeper. But uh, Jim Day just went ahead and gave them out. It was a very interesting time. This was some years ago in St. Louis, um, and then, of course, they opened up the temples to the public. But you know, through uh, your work with Mormon Research Ministry, so much more than I do about Mormonism and Mormon temples. Bill, why do Mormons build temples? Well, in order to answer that question, I'm going to cite a leader from the 19th century. His name was George Q. Cannon. He was a part of what Mormons call the First Presidency. And I should probably explain to your listeners that the First Presidency in Mormonism includes the top man, the leader of the church, who's known as the president, but he's also known as the prophet, seer, and revelator. Below that gentleman, there's two other leaders, and those are his counselors, a first and second counselor. Well, George Q. Cannon in the 19th century was a counselor to the prophet of the church. He was under Brigham Young, for instance, who was the second president of the Mormon church. Well, in 1871, and this is when Brigham Young was still alive, Brigham Young died in 1877, but George Q. Cannon said this. He said, why is it that we are so anxious to build temples? It is that we may attend to ordinances necessary for the salvation of the living and the dead, that we may be baptized for our ancestors who died without having the privilege of hearing and obeying the gospel. Now, you have to understand, in a Mormon context, the gospel that he's referring to is known among Latter-day Saints as what they call the restored gospel. In other words, Mormonism teaches this idea that after the death of Christ, after the death of the apostles, Christianity fell into what they call a complete state of apostasy. There were no longer any true Christians on the face of the earth, making it necessary 
for God to call Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon movement, to restore the beliefs and practices that Mormons believe Christians believed and practiced during the first century. So that's what he's referring to. And so when he says that the reason they do this is for the salvation of the living and the dead, the temple and its accompanying ceremonies and rituals becomes absolutely essential if a Mormon hopes to be truly saved. And you have to understand, in Mormonism, to be truly saved is to be exalted. That's the term that they use. So to be exalted is synonymous with eternal life or godhood. And that's why Mormons feel that the temple is so absolutely essential for them. Wow. Well, before we start talking about what they do in the temple, let's talk a little bit about what God's Word says about temples. Uh, First of all, I guess what we should ask is, are temples biblical? Why or why not? And what did people in the Bible uh, do in the temples at that time, the Old Testament? Yeah, that, that's a great question, because I, as you mentioned the St. Louis Temple when it was open for their temporary open house, I was there as well for mm. part of that time, mm-hmm. and we were handing out literature, the cars as they were, or the people as they were leaving the parking lot and such. And one thing that I, I find out is that they don't really talk a lot about what goes on inside, mm-hmm. but they do hold them to be absolutely essential to uh, getting the best that Mormonism has to offer. So that is something that you have to understand when talking with Latter-day Saints. You want to be very careful in bringing this up, I should say, because they are so sacred, quote-unquote, to the Latter-day Saint, that they're not even supposed to talk about them. And oftentimes when a Christian will bring this subject up, they'll say, well, you know, our temples are sacred. They're not really secret. Well, that's not even true either, because for a portion of time, up until around 1990, Mormons were making promises in the temple not to talk about them, and the word secrecy was actually used in the endowment ceremony at that time. So it's both sacred to them and secret. Now, I... I probably went off on a tangent and forgot your questions. It's <laughs> all right. You'll come back to it, I know. Oh, so, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to say, just, just to restate uh, the question, uh, are Mormon temples biblical, and what did the temples in the Old Testament do before we talk about what they do in the Mormon temples? Right. What they do is they try to draw a connection between what goes on in these modern buildings with what went on in ancient times. And I'll give you an example of how this this comes about. When I was visiting the Albuquerque Temple uh, during its temple open house, on the way back to my car, they had everybody ride on a shuttle bus. And I had a very nice Latter-day Saint lady sitting next to me. Now, I never wear a suit when I go through the temples. I don't want to blend in with Mormons. I kind of want to stand out. And certainly, I I wasn't dressed badly, but I certainly wasn't in a a suit with a white shirt and tie. So this Latter-day Saint lady sitting next to me asked me what I thought about my tour. And I explained to her, I said, well, I, I was a little bit disturbed because... I got the impression by watching the film that we were all watching in this big room before we went into the building itself 
that you are drawing a connection between what happens in your buildings with what happened in ancient times. And she nodded in affirmative on that, and she agreed that that's exactly what they do, that what they do in their temples is exactly what was done in ancient times. So playing off of that, I said to her, I said, well, then, if that's the case, could you tell me who cleans up all the blood off of that carpet at the end of each day? (laughs) Now, you can imagine that was probably quite shocking for me to say that to her, and I meant it to be a little bit shocking, because... She says to me, she says, well, oh, well, we don't do that anymore because of the atonement of Christ she was referring to. And I says, oh, so in essence, what you're doing there in this building is not the same as what went on in ancient times. And she had to acknowledge by me saying this, that I was right, that even though they might give you that impression that what they're doing in their buildings is the same as what went on in ancient times, that's not true at all, because in the Old Testament, the primary function of the temple was the offering of sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the people. Mormons don't offer sacrifices in their temples. They go to make covenants. They go to learn secret handshakes. They go to learn secret passwords. They go to get married for time and eternity. They go to perform baptisms on behalf of their dead ancestors. We don't find any mention of this kind of behavior going on in the temple in ancient Jerusalem. So certainly there is no biblical connection as Mormons would want us to believe. Yeah, good. Uh, Before we start talking about some of the specific things, and you've already mentioned a few of them that they do in Mormon temples— One of the things that I noticed is there were no crosses in the Mormon temple. Um, Mormons are actually, they don't wear crosses. Is that correct? And tell us a little bit about why. No. uh, One of the reasons why uh, I've had Mormons explain that to me is they usually will cite Gordon B. Hinckley, who was the 15th president of the Mormon church, who was given that same question by a religious leader in a local community who was touring the temple with Mr. Hinckley. And this individual also brought that up, saying, when I go through this temple, I notice that there are no crosses, the symbol of Christianity. And the answer that Gordon B. Hinckley gave this gentleman was that Mormons don't want to think about a dying Christ. They would much rather focus on a living Christ. Now, personally, I don't think that's a real good answer. Uh, For one, Mormons do focus on a dying Christ every week in their services when they partake of the sacrament. So they do focus on a dying Christ. But to say we don't want to focus on that, we want to focus on a living Christ, well, the point that Jesus is living wouldn't have any significance whatsoever unless he died first. That's what makes his living so important to us as Bible-believing Christians. But I, I think it was skirting the issue. One of the reasons why I don't think you're going to find crosses on any church buildings in the Mormon church is, one, they don't really teach that the atonement of Christ or his sacrifice was completely and only on the cross. Mm. It started in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mormons have taught for years that it was in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus atoned for the sins of mankind. Some have actually said that he atoned for all of the sins 
of mankind. And if that's the case, then my question is, well, if he atoned for all the sins of mankind in the Garden of Gethsemane, what would be left for him to atone Mm. for on On the cross? You can see how that starts to become a little bit sticky here. Because, first of all, when we look at what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, nowhere in any of the prayers that are recorded in the New Testament is there any mention of us as sinners. Mm. Jesus' time in the Garden was mainly the agony that he went through knowing what he was about to partake in, and that was the crucifixion that would take place later. His prayer was all about himself, asking the Father for strength to be able to go through this. Mm -hmm. But Mormons have turned that on its head and made it appear that it was in the garden that the atonement took place, and then it was finally finished. That atonement actually came to a full consummation, you might say, on the cross at Calvary. Mm -hmm. That could be one of the main reasons why you're not going to see any crosses on on Mormon buildings, and one of the reasons why Mormons usually do not wear jewelry of that type. Right, yeah. And 1 Corinthians 1.18 says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Yeah, can you imagine, in light of that verse, we could say, according the Mormon version would be, for the preaching of the garden is to them that perish foolishness. <laughs> the problem is, Paul never t- preached on the garden. We, don't, we find the Garden of Gethsemane, what, mentioned twice, I think, in the New Testament. It's not even mentioned in the Book of Mormon at all. Mm-hmm. So if the Nephite people that are the predominant culture mentioned in the Book of Mormon were real people, they would have not have known about a garden atonement to begin with. Mm-hmm. Well, there are numerous things that Mormons do in their temple, uh, and I know some are probably more important than others. Um, some of them, baptism for the dead, uh, the wedding ceremonies, um, and, and I'm not sure what you would say is, our time's going to fly, we're already ready for an announcement, but let me just let you answer at least one of those uh, issues. Um, the baptism for the dead is confusing for many people, so maybe you can talk about that. Yeah, the the primary ritual that is performed in a Mormon temple are are baptisms for the dead. Um, There are more baptisms for the dead than there are sealing ceremonies for time and eternity when a husband and wife is getting married, and also even the endowment ceremonies that go on. They also have what's known as washing and anointing uh, ceremonies in the temple. But baptism for the dead is absolutely essential because Mormon leaders such as Joseph Smith said, that if you want salvation in the fullest, that is exaltation in the kingdom of God, you have got to go into the temple of the Lord and receive these holy ordinances which belong to that house, which cannot be had elsewhere. No man, he said, shall receive the fullness of eternity of exaltation alone. No woman shall receive the blessing alone. But man and wife, when they receive the sealing power in the temple of the Lord, shall pass on to exaltation and shall continue and become like the Lord. And that is the destiny of men. That is what the Lord desires for his children. He says, if you do not participate in baptisms for the dead, you do so at the peril of your own Mm. salvation. So 
based on what Joseph Smith says, you can understand why a Mormon would think that that would be very important. And this is why Mormons are so involved in genealogical work. They want to know who their ancestors are so that they can go to a temple and they can be baptized on behalf of that dead ancestor. And according to Mormon belief, once that happens that dead ancestor will be visited by Mormon spirit missionaries, and they were going to tell this ancestor about the restored gospel of Mormonism and give them the opportunity to accept it in the spirit world. Now, that dead ancestor can refuse believing in it, uh, so the Mormon really doesn't know if the baptism by proxy is doing any positive good, because for all they know, that individual could have said, no thanks, I'd rather not. But most Mormons that I've talked to are always very hopeful that they will accept the restored gospel in what they call spirit prison. Okay, okay good. I do want to make a few announcements, and we'll come back and continue discussing the Mormon temple. Today, Family Shield is giving away numerous tracts and a booklet from the Family Shield Ministry's counter-cult ministry that will help our listeners respond and witness to Mormons. To request them, call our response center, 1-877-250-8416, or email us at witness2family at gmail.com. Don't forget to give us your complete name and address. These will be mailed to you. In a recent Family Shield donor letter to our supporters, we shared Family Shield Ministries' fiscal year ends June 30th. We must still raise an additional $20,000. Your prayers and gift are needed. Please donate a gift today. Here's one way our radio listeners can help. We encourage radio listeners to pray for us and donate a tax-deductible gift of $25 or more to help us continue to pay for the radio airtime. Our program, as you know, is heard on 53 stations throughout the United States. Each person that gives $25 or more and mentions this special offer will also receive a copy of my newest Bible study, Balance, Christ-Filled Living. The study includes six chapters. Knowing Jesus gives my life balance, prayer gives my life balance, balance when life seems overwhelming, my life has balance because God keeps his promises, encouragement and contentment give my life balance, and serving and sharing Christ give my life balance. You can donate your gift on our PayPal account at www.familyshieldministries.com or send a donation to Family Shield Ministries. P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. Remember to mention the special offer or write the word balance on the memo or in a note. I also want to let our listeners from the St. Louis metro area know that on Friday, October 13th, we will host Adams Road Ministry as they perform a concert and share their testimonies at Concordia Lutheran Church in Kirkwood, Missouri. Adams Road is composed of ex-Mormons that will share their Christian music and their testimonies. There's no cost for the concert, but a free will donation will be taken. If you're interested in helping us promote this in St. Louis, email us at witness2family at gmail.com. You can also sign up to receive our complimentary email newsletter on the website, www.familyshieldministries.com. 
Uh, the newsletter helps you know what topics and guests are coming up, special events uh, sponsored by Family Shield and Devotional Thoughts. Now I want to go back to our program with Bill McKeever. We're talking about the Mormon temples. Uh, but Bill is the president of Mormon Research Ministry, and I want to just give their website because they have so many great resources as well, www.mrm.org. And it's also on our recommended links on our website, Family Shields website. Bill, anything else you want our listeners to know about Mormon Research uh, Ministry before we continue our topic? Well, other than, as you mentioned, we do have a lot of articles lot. that cover yeah. many, many uh, various aspects of Mormonism. And oftentimes when I get people writing me and asking me a question about something, usually the answer to that question is found on our website. So I would strongly encourage people at least to use the search box uh, up in the upper right-hand corner and maybe type in some keywords, and it'll probably take them right to an article that may have the answer for them. Great. And I downloaded a couple on the temple, uh, as well as watched a great video that you had posted. So I learned or kind of reviewed what I might have already heard in the past. But uh, now, right before the break, we were talking about baptism for the dead. Did you have anything else to share about that? Well, other than I, I don't think it can be emphasized enough that one of the reasons why Mormons place such a high emphasis on this is because Joseph Smith said, and I'll, I'll quote from him, that those saints who neglect it, meaning baptism for the dead, in behalf of their deceased relatives, do it at the peril of their own salvation. So you can understand why a Mormon would be motivated to want to find out who their dead ancestors are and then go to a Mormon temple and perform these what they call saving ordinances on behalf of those ancestors. And the reason why they do this, Kay, is because Mormons believe that in the hereafter, they're going to be with their family members. This is why being sealed to a husband and or wife is so important. It's not just for time. They want to be sealed for eternity. And hopefully by being sealed to their spouse as well as being sealed to their children, they will be a family unit in the hereafter. Now this whole idea breaks down rather quickly because you would think that if a good Mormon marries another good Mormon, why wouldn't each good Mormon be with their respective immediate families rather than the one they're married to's family? And who would the children belong to, their spouse, or would they be with their parents? So it, it, mm. it really breaks down rapidly. It looks great on paper, perhaps, but it doesn't seem to work out practically. But Mormons do feel that this is absolutely essential. It's a part of this exaltation process that they are participating in during what Mormons call this mortality or this mortal probation. And uh, again, as I said before we went to the break, just because a Mormon goes to the temple and is baptized on behalf of a dead ancestor does not mean that that dead ancestor is going to embrace Mormonism in the spirit world. Mm -hmm. They are only hoping that they do, but there's no guarantee that that has happened. Right. Now, one of the issues that Christians uh, have with Mormons is they're legalist, and all of the things they have to do in the temple kind of demonstrates that. We know we are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2, 8 and uh, 9. Um, and yet they kind of have these rules that they have to do all this good work. Do they really have um, knowledge now that they're saved and have eternal life, or do they have 
have to do these good works? Well, in my experience in talking with Mormons on the street and in email and on the phone, I find that they really don't have that assurance. Uh, Spencer W. Kimball, who was the 12th president of the Mormon Church, wrote in one of his books, A Miracle of Forgiveness, where he said that the only way that a Latter-day Saint can really have the assurance of the forgiveness of sins and the assurance of being good enough for what they call exaltation is if they are living all the commandments. And so living all the commandments also becomes very important. Participating in the temple would be one of those commandments that Mormons are supposed to uphold. Now, whenever you throw works into the mix, you rob the individual of any assurance that they have this salvation that they seek, because if there are certain things that a Mormon must do, the next question is, are they sure they're doing it? Mm-hmm. And this is where I find that a lot of Mormons do not have that kind of assurance because they don't feel they are, quote-unquote, good enough. And this is what's interesting, Kay. There's a lot of talk in Mormon circles, and I've been going over a lot of articles that deal with this very issue. Mormons who feel they're not good enough. Well, you know, we aren't. None we of us never are. will be. <laughs> That's why we need Jesus. You have to be. Uh, Yeah. That's what's sad about what they're teaching, because they are teaching you have to do all these things. But as you said, we can't do everything right. We have two minutes left, Bill. So just uh, continue your thoughts for a minute or so. Well, anyway, this whole idea of being good enough becomes a real burden on the part of the Latter-day Saints. And there's been some articles in recent copies of the Ensign magazine and such, and even some messages in general conference that's held twice a year that is trying to give the impression that you don't really have to be good enough. But here's the problem with this. There's too much that's already been written down about this subject. And clearly, the Doctrine and Covenants in Section 1, which is a part of Mormonism's unique scripture, says very clearly that first you must repent of your sins, which means to confess and forsake, not just one, not just some, but you have to forsake all of your sins, and then you must keep all of the commandments, and once you've repented of all your sins, kept all the commandments, then you get the forgiveness of sins. So you can see why a Latter-day Saint would have a lot of angst wondering whether or not they've done enough to meet the requirement for exaltation. You bet. You bet. My guest has been Bill McKeever, president of Mormon Research Ministries. I wish we had more time, but our time is uh, flying by. I want to mention again, we're going to give away numerous tracks, but also the booklet, The Mormons, Who They Are, What They Believe. Uh, It's produced by Lutheran Hour Ministries. They also have a great video that you can download free on their website, and you can find all of these things on our website uh, this is Kay Meyer with Family Shield. To learn more about Family Shield, go to our website at www.familyshieldministries.com. Also remember our special offer. If you give a gift of $25 or more, will include my newest Bible study, Balance Christ-Filled Living. And uh, even if you can't give, you would just keep us in prayer as we move down toward the end of our fiscal year. Again, this is Kay Meyer with Family Shield. Thanks for listening. 
You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. And tune in again next week for Family Shield. Family Shield.